Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Salute! Slancha. Cheers! Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Woodenville Wine Country, here on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and events with your guide, master of mixology, and Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. So sit back and stir it up. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on 570 KVI. Hello and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. It's 11 a.m. here in Seattle and around the Pacific Northwest. I'm your happy host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, master mixologist, and commoner of cocktails here today. We've got a great show, as always. And if you're out there in the Twitter sphere or online, check us out uh, at happyhourradio.net. Our website hosts... Well, a great archive of all our fantastic segments in the past and all our upcoming guests. So check it out. Share with friends. If you have any questions out there about anything we talk about, wine, food, beer, cocktails, spirits, events, and education all around the Puget Sound, send us an email to ask at happyhourradio.net. And uh, I am live on the Twitter sphere at Happy Hour Radio. That's at Happy HR Radio. It's a home run, baby. Check it out. Uh, speaking of home runs, we got a home run show. So excited about having Jamie Stewart. Uh, he's from Italy, and he's got a sparkling wine company called Ferrari. You know that's got to be fast. Uh, also have uh, part one of a two-part interview with co-founder and partner in DeLille Cellars, Mr. Greg Lill. That's going to be really fun. We're going to talk about all his history, uh, taste some fantastic wines, and uh, talk about perhaps some French oak. And speaking of French oak, I've got Adam Schultz, um, one of my pals in the industry uh, from Sagan Moreau. Uh, Those are the people that, uh, well, make oak barrels and more. And Adam Schultz... Welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you for having me on today. So, uh, Sagan Moreau, that's a French company, and uh, they do barrels. But before we get there, you were just telling me about your history in Washington and in the industry. Tell me. You said winemaker and more. I, yeah, I worked in production when I first moved to Walla Walla in 2005 with Long Shadows Vintners uh, for Gilles Nico. And I spent a year and a half working in the cellar at Seven Hills for Casey McClellan and doing production work, doing sales, and kind of gravitated more towards the sales side. Uh, I started a manufacturing company in the Tri-Cities that was East Coast-based manufacturing corks that met with mixed results, but I was recruited by Sagan Moreau to (laughs) come aboard and start selling barrels and uh, doing something that was much more fun. Oh, that's amazing. So it's good to know that you've had some great tutelage in our backyard over there in, in Walla Walla and beyond. And uh, Seguin Moreau uh, is a co- French company based out of where? Cognac. It's actually based out of Cognac. And why is that significant of all the places people would think, less than a wine region? Originally, the Cognac industry was the foundation for the cooperage industry. The uh, Cognac goes into new Limousin oak, French oak barrels every year. Uh, Limousin's a very loose grain, impactful barrel that's eaten up by Cognac. So we're a company that's owned by uh, Remy Martin, and we had been in contract to Cooper between five and 10,000 barrels a year for them for cognac production, as well as large containers. So we, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, Sagan and Moreau were two different cooperages that formed one and ah. began to build barrels for the wine industry. And then our company began coopering barrels in Napa, 
our 20th anniversary in Apple will be this summer. Oh, really? So, so it's a relatively new company. Yeah. But, That's exciting. But, well, two companies that formed from, or one company that formed from two, Sagan and Moreau, were Coopers in, in uh, Cognac. So uh, Cognac, obviously, uh, I did not know that that Cognac was the uh, the leader, the trailblazer in the production of oak barrels. I mean, we'd think Bordeaux and all everything else and Burgundy, but I guess there's a lot of Cognac, and they need them longer because they're sitting on them because they age them. They don't release those wines for years. Yeah, the cellar master at Remy won't see Louis XIII. It'll be three and a half generations after they're gone. Yeah, what a legacy that is. Yeah. That's really wild. Well, speaking with Adam Schultz of Sagan Moreau, and uh, who knew that the headquarters was in um, Cognac region, making barrels for uh, those tasty spirits. Uh, but I've got some oak chips here. Like nuts. What do you call these? I've got three pieces of wood in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm alone. Uh, <laughs> they're tank stave samples. Tank stave samples. Well, either are they? Regardless, they are a sample of an actual. A treated, uh, what is it, let's see, uh, aqua, uh, uh, oh, Quercus alba, right? Well, actually, the American oak is a different species. It's a white American oak. So French oak can only be split. So the loss on French oak is all, oh, really? more than- Is that tight? More than double. Yeah, and American oak can be quarter sawn, so the loss is much less. Uh-huh. And the prices for barrels are basically two to one, French That's oak to why. American oak. So the not only are the supply difficult, the trees for French oak have to be at least 200 years old to be cut down. Oh, wow. Well, they ain't spotted owls over there. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> well, the forests are all reforested. The government owns the foresting industry there and actually do a pretty good job of maintenance That's and right. natural reforestation. Yeah, they want to go conquer. Who are they trying to war against? Was it Fran- uh England, was it Spain? And to build all those trees, all those trees were to build mighty armadas. And now they go into Tasty Barrels. Tasty Barrels. So I've got three stave samples here. Uh, the first, the lightest one is which? American Oak. Medium Toast. Medium Toast. So Medium Toast shows more vanilla. When people say they find vanilla in wine, it's generally coming from a lighter toast gradient. Okay. And then uh, the second one is American Oak Medium Plus. Uh, French Oak Medium Toast in oh. your left hand. Okay. French, French Oak. Oak Medium Plus. Oh, they're both French? Yes, sir. Okay, great. And is that the the color of these? One is basically tan brown, and the other is a sort of a, a Folgers coffee brown, black. About, and uh, so these are both French oak medium toast, medium medium plus. Well, I, medium medium plus. Yep, hard to say for you got this context. <laughs> well, this is really cool because they smell different. Now, would I have to sit there and use it as a toothpick to get some of the flavor out? Usually people soak them in wine bottles uh-huh. and let them extract for six weeks, and then they'll get some kind of sensorial aromatic Interesting. Result. And typically these would last, and how this is just a sample, but how long would this stave be? Uh, staves that go into large tanks for large wineries, Gallo, Constellation, they're four feet long, and they're using a tool called MicroOx mm-hmm. to simulate... The breathing, the oxygenation and lengthening of tannin chains. Yeah. yeah, so it's a synthetic barrel. And so, how big are some of those tanks? You think fifteen, thirty thousand gallons? <laughs> yeah, that's some big wine production. This is how the little secrets in the wine business. Um, it's not always that Berique or the Fouillat or the PS La PS, right? These are all barrel names. Or the well, Bati is not typically a French or an American one, but uh, or is it Boti? and uh, punchins and things like that. So how many different kind of barrels does Sagan Morel produce? Probably consistently seven or eight. There's some esoteric, very small, very large barrels. 
we have a large container department that's big in Bordeaux and the Rhone Valley for fermentation and elevage or aging. The people are using much larger vessels than their barrel shape, but they're oh right forty to three hundred hectoliters, so much larger than a barrel. Interesting, but that's all for racking for the lees kind of thing, I bet, huh? Something and it like changes that. the decantation of the lees and yeah. creates different suspensions well, and elevations of move, lees yeah. in the wine. There's a lot more science now to then just throw it in there for two years and wait and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of economics that press on that. A too. lot of economics, and uh, you said seven or eight barrels by Sagam Moreau, and how many? Ch- trees do you think if we were to make a number how many trees do we go in were harvested to produce a year's worth of supply last year globally we produced 60,000 barrels french and american oak uh french oak out of one tree that you cut down maybe you'll get five barrels worth of wood from it okay so all right for american oak maybe you so get double the result trees, like yeah five something like that okay close it's a lot of trees 20,000? Yeah. <laughs> we don't do math on Happy Hour because it should be two for one. <laughs> or a dollar off. That's what we know. Uh, speaking with Adam Schultz with Sagamoro, and this is really fun. So um, is there a, a website that people can go to learn more about uh, French oak or American oak or just the flavors and, and profiles and nuances? Sure, but it all falls short when you need to spell things in French. Oh. Mm. But the uh, SagamoroNapa.com website's a, a great place to go. Sagan is S-E-G-U-I-N is in Nancy, and then M-O-R-E-A-U is the second word. It's all elided. Sagamoreau.napa.com. Okay, you can learn a bunch of... Bunch of information on, on wine, if you, and you also learn French. You can learn French. You can. <laughs> There's a French website that's the same. Um, and if we have... Uh, I want to try that. Can I keep these? Can Absolutely. I have some samples? I think this is great great learning. So when we talk about medium plus toast, are we looking at... Uh, is that where the coffee and the mocha and the... Give me the sort of flavor profiles for, we'll say, French oak. And what forest do you use? Or do you use a combination? Uh, we use... The uh, the forest declension in oak's kind of been a dubious business since the oak industry began. Uh, for several reasons, we tend to work with a small selection of forests a lot in the Loire Valley, uh, what's called GP or, uh, you know, that's, I guess, the most common name in the industry. Troncé and Allier are considered to be two different forests, but they mm-hmm. share a logging road and they're right across the street from each other. <laughs> it's like a so, vineyard. So it's hard to say... Exactly how much. Oh, mine's Grand Cru. Ha <laughs> ha, no, it is not. It's a Premier Cru. The demand for very fine grain is high. So those three locations tend to be very cold. The trees grow slowly. The grain type tends to be compressed and dense and extra fine, less than a millimeter space in between the grains. Wow. And we thought Warehouser had an operation. That's how the French are. <laughs> Doing much better business. Oh, man. This is really cool. So how many types of oak are there actually for the uh, the barrels? There's uh, American oak, there's Hungarian oak, there's Russian oak, or what? That's, that's about the common usage, French and American probably being the two most common. Uh, we have a really great source in the Caucasus near where the Sochi Olympics were. Of, mm. uh, it's the same species as French oak, and slow-growing cold regions seem to be where the tightest grain wood tends to come from. We have some success on Pinot and Chardonnay. There's kind of a nutty quality to those barrels that are expressive and elegant on Pinot. Wow. So, Which do you like more? Do you like talking about oak flavors in, in wine, or do you like talking about wine flavors in wine? I like talking about barrels that are well-integrated in the wines that they're going into. I think... I think oak, when it stands out, loses the character and dimension of the wine. But I think when you taste neutral barrels to barrels that are well integrated and really supporting and 
showcasing the fruit, I think you can wine transcends to another level at that point, in my opinion. My opinion, too. I know I had the pleasure of tasting some very old wines, and I know there was some French oak on on the wines that we had. And uh, I'm speaking with Adam Schultz of Sagan Moreau, uh, talking about French oak. I'd like to have you on again, because I think there's really more. We just, you know, scratched, uh, scratched the bark off. <laughs> I guess, um, on oak and American oak, because I think it'd be really interesting. So is there a, a, a store front someplace that we can go and pick a barrel if I want to buy one, or is there a catalog? I want to see what's going on out there. The website's the best way. And uh, I'm, I'm the Northwest contact for British Columbia, Washington, and Oregon. Okay. So, Well, then we're definitely going to talk um, about having some fun. I think this is... Uh, it's it's mysterious, and yet you come for it with a, such a straightforward agricultural sense, but also scientific. I think there's you have a lot of information at your hands when it comes to oak. It's a fun job. It is a fun job. Tasting wine with winemakers doesn't feel like work. And neither does Happy Hour Radio. We have so much fun on the air. Meeting uh, cool cats like yourself, uh, you've got a great history with uh, Long Shadows and Seven Hills, Casey and uh, Gilles. Cool cats in the biz, um, passionate about what they do, and uh, they got some quality. Do you sell them barrels? I do, yeah. <laughs> that worked out well. That's cool. <laughs> well, um, I, I'm pleased to meet you and have you in studio. It's great to actually see some of the, the toys that, uh, when it comes to oak, where no one can carry around an oak barrel. It's just a little sample. And you got some oak chips and some dust and things like that in case I want to do some home winemaking? Yeah, we've got some pretty cool compressed dust ah. that solubilizes in must. Really? Yeah, it comes in, they look like Duraflame logs. Ah. Add them to the fermenter and they come out in the press. <laughs> they got pretty colors in blue and orange. and No uh, inhalation hazard. It's a big uh, deal for wineries now. That is. Worker that makes safety. sense because there's a lot of, uh, yeah, airborne, I mean, it's, that's a lot of flavor in that stuff. Well, very cool, Adam. Uh, thanks so much for being on Happy Rage. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, so coming up on the show, I've got Jamie Stewart of Italy's Ferrari Brute Sparkling Wines. Uh, really cool great cat. He's got some great wines. Also, I've got part one of a two-part series with the co-founder and partner in DeLille Cellars. That's Mr. Greg Lill. That's going to be a fantastic opportunity to, uh, to meet somebody who's been in the business for... 25 years already, but also has been one of Washington's premier wineries. Uh, that'll be a treat coming up on the show, so stay tuned. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Time for another round. You're listening to Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Woodenville Wine Country, part of the KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. Hey, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. I am your sommelier, your advanced sommelier, here with some great guests. I have Jamie Stewart, uh, Jamie Alexander Stewart from <laughs> Ferrari, and also uh, the man, the myth, the mystery, Greg Lill from DeLille Cellars. And uh, we're going to start this section off with some great bubbles. And Jamie Alexander Stewart, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here. So um, Italy is is rarely known for bubbles outside of Moscato d'Asti. And, uh, well, Francia Cordes still needs some help in the world. But I have had Ferrari. And with a name like Ferrari, how would you not want to buy these bubbles? So tell me about uh, Ferrari Sparkling Wines. Mm -hmm. Ferrari is the oldest producer of um, the Champagne Method in Italy. Uh, we were originally uh, founded in 1902 by a very uh, well-renowned viticulturalist whose name was Giulio Ferrari. 
um, who in that particular time period had amassed an enormous nursery collection of international and domestic um, vine selections. So he was well known amongst um, all the Italian winemaking community. He fostered a unique uh, curiosity about what the French were doing with uh, the Champagne method and also the varieties that they were utilizing at the time. And so he traveled to Montpellier. He studied in France for a number of years, did stage work with some of the more prestigious uh, houses in Champagne. And then in 1897, smuggled 60 Chardonnay vines back from uh, France to northern Italy and planted Chardonnay for the first time in Italian soil. Um, and a handful of years later, produced his first vintage of a wine, which at that time was labeled as Champagne. So ah. Now, interestingly enough, even though the export reputation for Italy uh, with regards to sparkling wines is dominated somewhat by Prosecco, there's actually more than 5,000 producers of uh, Metodo Classico, which is our term for the Champagne method in Italy. So really? there's a vast community of producers, yes. Is that uh, in uh, the Veneto and Franciacorta and Trentino? Virtually every corner of the country has oh. its own indigenous um, grouping of producers. The two DOCs that are recognized for the method are Trentino first and then Franciacorta, which came a little bit later. Um, Trentadoc is a little bit more synonymous with the technique amongst the Europeans, um, mainly because of the climatic um, and geological disposition of the area and the type of wines. We are limited to only two grape varieties, Chardonnay and Pinot Nero, whereas Franciacorta has a little bit more of an elaborate array of, of grapes that are permissible also to the French. Um, but we Bianco. have yes, Pinot Bianco more especially, uh, Pinot Juliet, um, Pinot Meunier, which we're not uh, we're not allowed to utilize. <laughs> well, uh, so we are looking at the map of Italy, and we're at the very right-hand corner of the boot. No, actually, if you look at uh, a map of Italy, we're kind of central and at the top. So just below Bolzano, there's a, a beautiful um, glacial valley that comes down from the Dolomites to uh, the top of Verona. Um, basically, it's the Adige Valley. So it's the swoop of the Adige River that forms in the glaciers and then cuts across the Veneto and, and empties into the Adriatic just below Venice. Um, but we're an hour north of Verona, about an hour and a half um, west of Venice and an hour and a half east of, of Piedmont. So right in the center of the top. And Ferrari was started, uh, you said, late 1800s with some stolen vines? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were under the control of the Austrians at the time. So the Habsburgs controlled all of northern Italy. Um, and it wasn't permissible for us to have imported a non-indigenous uh, root culture. So after doing some stage work with houses like Bollinger, he fell in love with Chardonnay as a variety and basically smuggled them back. So Very cool. And I see there is a date, a, a fondé, or what do they say, Dupuis? What's the term for Italian the, starting the wine? The founding date, 1902. 1902. So, yeah. And the so. first wine we have here is a rosé, and it's beautiful. And so this is a blend of Chardonnay and Pinot Nero, yeah. or Pinot Noir. Yeah, so it's actually dominated by Pinot Noir. Um, the non-vintage is 60% Pinot Noir and 40% Chardonnay. And we utilize a, an older technique called Sangier uh, to produce this particular wine. So rather than just adding a still red wine for color, we gently press the Pinot Noir by hand at the very beginning of the winemaking process and allow the pigments and the polyphenols to and the tannins to matriculate out of the skins and into the juice before fermentation. Uh, this is great. I'm speaking with Jamie Stewart, who is the brand ambassador for Ferrari. Um, and he was mentioning something about Trento. Trento Doc, which is D-O-C, correct? Yes. Okay, so this is a region in Italy, which is in the center of the, the upper center of the boot. And uh, the two grapes, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, 6% uh, Pinot Noir in this particular non-vintage or multi-vintage, right? Yes, and this is a multi-vintage blend. We do a vintage declared rosé, which is slightly more accentuated with Pinot Noir. Um, but given the difficulties of growing Pinot Noir at this altitude and with the, and the climate that exists at this higher reach of the valley itself, 
Um, it's usually a more diminutive form. Well, let's taste this wine. Tell me what uh, we should be seeking in this beautiful glass of bubbly. Well, the beauty of Sangye is, is that the, the elements of the Pinot Noir are incorporated into the wine at the very beginning. So the aromatic profile has um, a beautiful brocade of lightly bruised violets, candied rose petals, definitely some Bing cherry, cranberry, plumeria notes. Um, so it's red fruit dominant in the nose. Um, the, the sugars in the wine are quite low, so you can expect the wine to carry into the palate with a, a creaminess and a, um, a decadent vinosity that doesn't finish with a sweetness. So you almost have um, a beautiful composite of that Meyer lemon tone from the Chardonnay in the closure of the wine with a little bit of a stone fruit um, finality. The, the, the tannin from the Pinot Noir gives you almost like a cherry pit or a plum pit. Uh, feel to the closure of the wine That's itself. That's a lot going on in this glass of wine. What I love about it, actually, is because it's all skin contact for color, the, the, is more of a mercurial um, uh, anti-copper patina, almost like the skin patina. of an Arctic I like char. That term. Um, or Vidalia onion shell. It's got a, a beautiful harmonic in the color. Now, is there age requirements for uh, Trento Doc? Yes. Is there any two areas that we differ from the AOC standards in Champagne at this point? Both of them apply to non-vintage wines. We are required by law to use less reserve wine. So the French can use an unlimited amount of reserve for a non-vintage blend. We don't use more than 20%. And we're also required to age the wines for longer. So this wine is actually aged for close to three years on the lees before it's disgorged. Whereas in France, it would be uh, closer to 18 months. Right. And is that by, so is that a law? or Two is that years just is the, the law. Two years, 24 and months, uh, surly or... What's Sir Ladder? What do they call it? In- it's surly is a common term. It basically, it's autolysis, so it's aging yeah. the wine on the yeast. And all of our yeasts are, uh, are sourced indigenously from our own vineyards as well. So we have a lot of different programs uh, running simultaneously, full sustainability, um, all biological protocols based in, in organic farming principles. Everything reflects beautifully in the wine. Well, it is a lovely wine. And uh, tell me, where would we be on the price point? Uh, is this uh, up there, a $100 wine? No, no, this would retail between 32 and $36 comfortably. Ah, it is very comfortably. Yeah. I like that term. Well, by comparison to, to our French cousins, um, rosés would traditionally start above the $65, $70 threshold. So That's it's very true. affordable. And uh, it's actually uh, a fantastically delicious wine. Great complexity, as you mentioned. Uh, I like the bruised violets note there. And... Uh, uh, I love I love the rosé as a character. Um, it's always struggled in the United States with consumers because there's that fixation between assuming that it's sweet or the anxiety that comes from what people are thinking when they're watching you drink a pink wine means. So, um, but I think stylistically, rosés, because of the way they're made, um, are some of the most prophetic and, and uh, wise examples of sparkling wines for certain. Well, this is really exciting. You brought a second wine as well, and uh, this is a vintage wine. Um, I have a glass of a beautifully light, medium-minus colored, uh, but it's intensely gold, but it's just very clear and brilliant. Tell me about this wine. So this is the Perlet. Um, Perlet is a proprietary name for us. It refers to two things, um, the Perlage of the wine itself, uh, Perlen, um, but also the, the term that the Germans and the Austrians use for sparkling wines made this method, which would be Perlenwein. These are all single vineyards from higher altitudes, so above uh, 3,000 feet in elevation uh, traditionally. This is a Blanc de Blanc. It's 100% Chardonnay. Uh, it's aged for six years on the lees before it's disgorged, and all of the fruit is sourced from a single harvest as opposed to it being a multi-vintage blend. Um, the wine itself has a decadent aromatic profile, a lot of marzipan, praline, nougatine, uh, lightly candied and salted nut meat tones. The mouth displays very distinct brulee, uh, green pineapple, lightly toasted coconut elements itself. 
There's a lavish cornucopia of apple scents and flavors in the mouth from the Chardonnay because it is 100% Chardonnay. A lot of honey, uh, crisp, golden, delicious notes. And it finishes with just a little hint of brulee Anjou pear and some baking spices in the back. Oh, pear. this is a fantastic. This is beautiful. Well, six years on the lees is a tremendous amount of time. If you look at uh, the French Blanc de Blancs, I mean, the standard is, is Salon, and by no means is this a comparison, but, <laughs> but Salon spends only seven years on the lees before it's disgorged. And that's what people don't realize is that some of the uh, why champagne can be expensive is that uh, it, they spend a lot of time making this wine to be great. and. Uh, the longer you keep it off the shelf, the, the more expensive it seems to get. Um, so this is a 2006 vintage. Yes. And how is vintage variation in? Uh, well, let me ask two questions. First, is there a declared vintage often in Trento, and is there much vintage variation? We are pretty much in tune with the way the French produce uh, vintage declaration, which is only about 5 to 7% of our total wines um, are declared. Um, our Tete Cuvée, which is the Giulio Ferrari, um, which spends more than a decade on the yeasts, We've made 22 vintages in 40 years, to give you an idea of how frequently we can produce wines of that quality. Um, we have a little bit more dependability in where we're located. Uh, traditionally, actually, if you find the vintages sour in the south, we usually have splendid um, quality vintage production in the north. Because of the altitude and the narrow valley, we get a very strong diurnal temperature shift. Um, so we get blazingly hot days but bitterly cold nights, uh, which gives a great temperament to the character of our fruit. But the Perlet, we probably produce about six to seven vintages per decade. Oh, well, it's a fantastic wine. And when we come back from this break, uh, we'll ask a couple more questions about uh, the beautiful wines of Ferrari. Uh, that's a cool name. You've got to have it. Um, I think the label should be red, though. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, coming up on the show, I've got uh, Greg Lill, uh, the founding partner, uh, one of the founders, or well, the man behind the name of DeLille Sellers here on Happy Hour Radio. Hey, if you have any questions, don't be afraid to send an email to ask at happyhourradio.net. And if you're on the Twittersphere, check us out at, at Happy Hour Radio. Happy HR Radio, here on one and only Happy Hour Radio. We'll be right back.